and boundaries therefore are what allow something to have an identity and to grow and evolve. Hi, thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. I'm Farah White. And I'm Grant Brenner. We are psychiatrists on a mission to educate and advocate for mental health and overall well-being. In addition to the obvious, we focus on the subtle, often unspoken dimensions of human experience, the so-called doorknob comments people often make just as they are leaving their therapist's office. We seek to dispel misconceptions while offering useful perspectives through open and honest conversation. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, and requests. Hi, thanks for listening today. I'm Farah White here with my co-host, Grant Brenner, and we are going to talk about something that comes up a lot in everyday life, boundaries, setting boundaries, navigating them, understanding them. And I think this is a really important topic, particularly for people who are just starting to re-enter the world um, after maybe having, you know, more solitude over this past year. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, boundaries are always important. And of course, they uh, vary a lot from relationship mm-hmm. to relationship. You know, to some extent, in a, in a big picture, there's certain boundaries that apply to personal relationships. They're different from the boundaries that apply to professional relationships. There are boundaries in a student-teacher relationship. They're, di- they're different from a doctor-patient relationship mm-hmm. and friendship. So there's sort of these broad brush stroke And then there's the boundaries that to some extent are negotiated individually. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting point. People have been kind of cooped up for a while. You're suggesting that that maybe people have gone a little feral, you know, like (laughs) a little bit wild from being isolated for too long. And maybe um, also are going to be like really excited to see people for the first time and maybe like gushing a little bit. Yeah. And and maybe aren't going to be watching boundaries. So maybe we want to cut each other a little slack when we know that we're all in need. You know, to talk about how we learn about boundaries, why they're necessary. Do you want to say a little bit about why it's so important to have, I guess, clear boundaries? Let's use an analogy from biology, even (laughs) really simple. The cell, Uh you know, an animal Mm -hmm. cell or a plant cell, it has to have a membrane around it. I almost Mm -hmm. said wall, but Mm -hmm. it's not really a wall because boundaries are, you know, they let things go through them, some things and other things they stop. And so boundaries are intelligent Mm -hmm. and they are semi, like semi-permeable. The boundary makes decisions. It mediates between inside and outside. And without the boundary, there's no difference between inside and outside. There's no difference between me and you. Mm -hmm. And boundaries, therefore, are what allow something to have an identity and to grow and evolve. Boundaries need to be maintained by the system, the inside and the outside. Right. Right. So it's a mutual thing. Yeah, I think that we need to be clear in what the boundaries are, and then we can expect other people to respect that and honor that. I think one of my my favorite topics to talk about is how people learn how to set boundaries, which varies greatly depending on what kind of a childhood they had. So some people grow up where there's respect for privacy, where they can learn to say no, whether it's to food on their plate or to a hug or a kiss. Right. Or sort of simple rights like... Mm -hmm my diary is not to be read by, you know, mom or yeah. dad or brother right. or sister. Like that's my diary. My room is private. 
and I don't I don't like you know I don't like it when you come into my room without knocking and yeah. another kid says well it doesn't bother me you can come in whenever you want it's like okay so that's great but you have different rules than I do and just because yeah. you're more open doesn't mean then I have to be so I think we have to listen to people when they do speak up but a lot of times it's hard to speak up um, because people don't feel like it's okay to say no yeah, and, and parent, parents can have awful boundaries too, right? Or they can have good boundaries. Like parents will talk about stuff in front of their kids that they probably shouldn't. Right. And sometimes that's hard. If you, if you live in a small apartment and you need to have a conversation, then, you know, people can hear everything. Or, <laughs> you know, that can extend to affection as well. Or, you know, people really make a point of being intentional about how they manage boundaries. And I, and I think kids also learn by watching their parents, right? So having the permission to set a boundary themselves, but also understanding that certain things, you know, are not okay with their parents for whatever reason, whether it's a safety issue or whether it's, you know, a house rule. I think those are things teaching kids to respect that is an important part of development. Yeah, it, it goes to kind of what is good parenting. And right. you made me think of these four parenting styles again, which we talked about with Sarah Bren mm -hmm. in a previous episode on, on coaching parents. There are four parenting styles. There's the one that you are, that people think is more likely to raise a secure, healthy kid is the authoritative parent who is supportive and warm sets clear behavioral limits, mm -hmm. but more or less stays out of their kid's head, you know, except when it's appropriate to serve as a sounding board to help them think through things. Right. But they're not like telling the kid what they should think or criticizing them for their feelings or invalidating their feelings. And then there are three other styles that seem to make kids more likely to have trouble later. Authoritarian parenting, which is sort of cold and too strict and gets in people's heads. Mm -hmm. And then there are two types of uh, permissive parents who don't keep appropriate boundaries. One, one type being indulgent, mm -hmm. and they're sort of too gratifying, and the other being neglectful, and they're checked out, but you know, you can do whatever you want. And that sets up an expectation for boundaries. Absolutely. I think it makes it harder for kids who grow up and go out in the world. And if no one's ever said no to them, and they hear it for the first time, I think it can cause a lot of distress and it has to be something that they learn to deal with. You have an example of that that you have in mind? If we just think about, let's say, an athlete who had free reign in the house to kind of play rough or do whatever, you know, they wanted to do. And then they go to college and have to live with other people or um, have other people saying, you know, I don't want a rough house. Um, I think that's like a pretty tame example. Um, obviously, it can get into other issues of consent probably pretty quickly. But the idea is if no one has ever kind of set the boundary there, then I think it becomes harder for that person to navigate and to understand and to read the cues that other people maybe need a, a different environment or need something different. Right. Or in also, um, if, if they hear someone say, hey, I don't like your roughhousing, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just I didn't grow up in a home. I get it. You know, and the person says, yeah, I understand. And then and then they do it anyway. It's like intellectually they get the person is setting a boundary, but emotionally they don't have the wherewithal or the self-control yet. And then maybe there's a negative consequence. Yeah, maybe there's sure. not. 
Right. I mean, I think there are always people who grow up in a home where um, there are no limits and it, it rather than make things, it, you know, I think the indulgent parent it wants to just give their kid everything, but then the kid gets out there into the world. And well, the people, indulgent permissive parent, yeah. The indulgent permissive parent, but people are going to say no, and we need to be able to accept that. Right. No one ever says no. I don't know why, but it keeps coming up. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. And in, in this case, I think of Veruca Salt, the okay. very wealthy young girl mm-hmm. who wants a, the goose that lays the golden egg. And her mm-hmm. father is obviously kind of weak-willed and out of some misguided affection for her, which is sort of based in, in fear of right. her of her feminine sort of her feminine power or something. Mm -hmm. She is rules the roost, which is funny because she wants, you know, a goose (laughs) that lays a golden egg. And basically Willy Wonka says no, and she doesn't respect the boundary. And then she (laughs) falls into the trash compactor, right? Where the bad eggs go. And so that's like what happens when you, you know, you get a job and then you're like, what do you mean you want me to like, you know, do this task? Right. That's not, something I want to do it's like yeah. well then you're fired yeah so like, you can't fire me it's like yeah. yeah I'm sorry no one ever told right. you or they have a better boss or, you know or a mentoring boss who says something like listen let's you know I think you have a lot of potential let's let's work with you and that would be ideal you know I had another example because you talked yeah. though about the sort of physical aggression I thought of mm-hmm. uh, families and where the family culture was to make fairly direct comments mm-hmm. and and that you know, of course, it comes from a place of wanting to help each other. But there was also like an overvaluation of being, say, smart mm-hmm. um, or right. What do you think the difference is? I, I kind of think it's like the the type and extent of the infraction. A yeah, violation I, is an absolute no-no. It's an absolute no-no. And I think a violation is harmful to one or the other or both parties involved. I think a boundary crossing more benign and can sometimes happen as people are trying to navigate something. I mean, there's something boundary crossings can feel um, kind of enticing and sexy and, you know, there's something- A little little dangerous. A little dangerous, right. And luring. Right. And so I do think that's why sometimes people get into these- uh, either situations or relationships and and push the boundary because there's something that feels very good on a lot of levels. One is knowing that it's there, right? So it helps someone feel secure, like some place where they can kind of fall in through the membrane. But if it's intact, then that's actually a good thing. Safe. Yeah. Like having a container, right? Right. Um, Well, people play around boundaries. Right. And it's like teasing, like some people, they are playful, they tease, and then then you make a joke that lands too hard or it mm-hmm. happens, you know, or you, or you kind of know that you're you're pushing a limit, right. you're joking about something that feels a little shaky. And then all of a sudden play, playful teasing turns into like you've hurt their feelings. And then you can recover from that. There's a boundary crossing usually, unless it happens over and over and over again, then you start to think, well, what am I doing with someone who constantly is is crossing this boundary and it's causing me distress. I think a violation is much harder to recover from. If there's a violation, there's no going back. It's often a betrayal and the relationship is permanently changed, even if it must continue. But more often than not, more often than a crossing, a violation will result in the end of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's worth maybe saying that crossings 
our quote unquote slippery slope. Mm -hmm. So if there are repeated crossings and, and no one says this isn't okay, you know, we're heading toward a violation, right. then it can turn into an uh, irreparable situation that you can't recover right. from. Yeah. Whereas crossings you can, in some cases, learn from as well as kind of have be playful and, and fun. Right, exactly. I think we can outline some examples of, you know, boundary crossings and violations. Maybe we can start with a culture of, you know, providing more information either in a conversation or in an email or whatever than someone would want in the form of uh, words or a photo, you know, and, and sometimes that's that's hard to know, but to think about what the reaction of the person might be when they receive a message. This is a huge source of conflict among people, especially when it hasn't been spelled out beforehand what's okay and what's not okay, because what seems okay to me may not be okay to you. And what right. you think is kind of, um, you know, a perfectly reasonable thing to text might mm -hmm. be something that the other person just doesn't want to see. And, right. and then you might be offended that the other person doesn't want to see that. That's the nature of the boundary of, of a, a mutual boundary is that it requires compromise, right? Like, right. If there's something I want that you don't want, then the relationship goes with what you don't want, right. not what I want. <laughs> or, and you could say, well, can we talk about it? But ultimately, it's it's protective to both people to have that boundary. So I don't know what kind of information. Uh, there's obviously certain images of images of a sexual nature that in some circumstances would be welcome and in others would be unwelcome. Mm -hmm. That's the obvious one is around anything sexual, but it could be something graphic. Like, let's say you love gross things and mm -hmm. you've got a friend who, you know, gets skeeved out really easily. And they're like, dude, like, stop sending me pictures of stuff that you see on the sidewalk in Manhattan. Like, I know mm -hmm. you think it's really cool, but like, leave it alone. Or I know you're being playful, but I don't like it when you post teasing comments on social media. Like, right. um, and I, I'd like you to stop doing that. And so to me, For I think- political information, sorry. Right. Yeah, political information, graphic photos of violence, you know, that people may or may not want to see. I think the best way to navigate that, you want to tell someone something and, or you want them to know and you feel a need to share is really just to ask and to say, hey, I wanted to share this with you. Would it be okay if I sent along this article or this photograph? Or yeah, it's like whatever. getting consent. Just but you have to think about it in the first place, right? Like yeah. it has to occur to you that asking is a good idea. Right. And, and you have to be erring on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. For sure. But if you know someone well enough, sometimes you can anticipate how they're going to react, sometimes not. Would and... you mind if I ask you now, if you mind if I ask you what I'm about to ask you? <laughs> I don't mind at all. Thanks for asking. Good. I'm glad we cleared yeah. that up. Yeah. It can get a little like it can feel too confusing. Like, oh, I have to ask for permission every time. Like, no, but you learn some norms over time, right? right? right. And then and the you... boundary becomes internalized. Exactly. Exactly. And then it's all good. Yeah. And then Until you can... something changes. Well, you can anticipate. Right. Of course, they're fluid and what is okay with some people, you know, let's say maybe pre-kids having stuff come in through their phone. And then if they have their three-year-old uh, playing on their phone, that might be uh, obviously <laughs> something different. But the other thing is, you know, in addition to asking, you can also tell people like, hey, you know, I know um, historically I've been 
quite fine with you sending me these like somewhat um, edgy political cartoons, mm -hmm. but my kids have gotten old enough that they have figured out how to unlock my phone. And anyway, I don't want to have to worry about it. So if you could please stop sending them. Or send them to my email. I'll have everyone send everything to your email. Is that what you mean? <laughs> Definitely not. Please forwarding don't. everything to you. Please don't. Okay. Um, okay. Other examples of boundary crossings or violations. I think not taking no for an answer. And this is where we have to be very careful because there's a fine line between being persistent and being intrusive or, uh, you know, how many times can you ask for something and have someone say no before it, become, before it crosses the boundary? Well, so, yeah, sometimes if you don't, it can feel like a double bind because if you don't try hard enough, then people could say, well, you only asked me once and I actually wish you had followed up. And then it's mm -hmm. like, maybe I can't win. But so on one hand, there's being like pushy, right? intrusive, not backing off. And then there's also like maybe being a little too, what's the word, hands off mm -hmm. and kind of being like, you know, so what would you do if you had a friend where you, you really felt they were doing something and you were worried about them and you, you kind of knew that they were like giving off that signal, which is like, don't try to help me, mm -hmm. like watch me self-destruct and do nothing. And you felt strongly as a friend, you had to say something. How would mm -hmm. you approach that when there is a boundary but you also feel a moral imperative. I think it's okay to frame it in that way and say, you've been friends for a long time. I've known you really well. And I don't know how you feel about hearing this right now. If you don't want to hear it, let me know. But, you know, and then say whatever it is, right? Be, because if you believe that that person at their best would be okay with hearing that, yeah, maybe the drinking's gotten out of control or... Right, know, I thought about, yeah, interventions. Yeah. Right. Um, like I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice the friendship because I can't. Right, right. I'll but do that then, on the drop of a hat. I'll do that on the drop of a hat, though. Like, you I'll will? Do that, yeah, yeah, I'll do that for pretty much anything. I'll be like, you know, um, I, I think you should get a different haircut and, <laughs> you know... Um, and if you don't, if you don't, we're, I, we're I don't through. care. You're right. Yeah. I, I, I care so much about you. I don't know about um, that shade of green. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel so strongly. No, yeah. I mean, but I don't, I don't know why I, I turned to humor there. I guess because it's yeah. so uh, anxiety provoking to think about being in a position where you have to give someone an ultimatum. Yeah. I don't think you always have to, but I think you can say, um, you know, that what if what you're trying to do is in the best interest or if if it's what you really believe that someone would want, I think it's okay to speak up and to really just, you know, speak up once and then see what the reaction is and to kind of retreat. I don't think, I mean, the idea of an intervention is not, oh, we kidnap people and take them to rehab. It's, you know, we talk about how... Right they're affecting the people that they love and that's well you, you can be clear powerful. and firm yeah you can be clear right. and firm without being like aggressive yeah. and i'm yeah. thinking you know that could be like skit comedy might be fun you know mm -hmm. with sort of um i'm thinking of key and peel maybe mm -hmm. um because you know a lot of humor actually circulates around boundaries if, right. if you take a step back and think about it a lot of jokes that comedians make and things people think are funny are pretending to cross boundaries, mm -hmm. but not really crossing boundaries. 
you yeah. know, suddenly changing the end of the joke, you know, so that they say something you weren't expecting that's right. a little edgy. Right, but I also think it's about context, right? And a comedian yeah. is there to make a joke and to, you know, push the envelope a little bit. That's what makes it exciting and entertaining. But of course, you know, sometimes it goes too far. But but it's about context. And for people who aren't professional comedians, like I, I'd imagine that's one of the most difficult things about their job. I don't know. Well, I think it's a it's also a good example of an excuse that people often make for crossing boundaries. They say stuff that is is crossing a boundary in in a context that doesn't uh, make it normed, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, "Oh, I'm just joking," and it's like, right. "Well, that's kind of callous, actually." Right. You know, there's no empathy there. The other, I think the other one, another one that comes to mind anyway. There's so many examples is is when someone states a preference and you don't respect it. I think it depends on what the you know preference is, what the need is that the that the other person has and really trying to weigh that. Well, like my own need to get what I want versus my need to maintain the relationship in a good state. So there's maybe exactly. an internal conflict. Right. Impulse right. control is important here. It is. And I think that there are times where we can push, and I'm thinking about sort of like health-related stuff, let's say someone, you know, you know that someone needs uh, an appointment or, or something, and I think like nudging that along a little bit, if it's like a preventative screening or something like that, and it's a family member that might be a little bit resistant, that that's actually okay to do. Like if, uh, let's say, you know that your parent needs a colonoscopy and hasn't gone and has been delaying it because, you know, they have certain fears around it, but it's important that they do it. And it's oh, like when, when someone is like, quote unquote, help rejecting. Yeah. And you care about them a lot. Right. And you know, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's a very different position, I think, from, let's say, commenting on someone's body uh, when you know that they don't really want those comments. Um, asking right, or if them. someone keeps asking you about their body when you don't want to be asked about it by the same token. That's true. Yeah. It seems to me that a lot of these situations where people don't respect boundaries, one of the core things that comes up is feeling helpless or powerless. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to get your beloved parent to do something really basic and they're they're really self-destructive and yeah. you're just watching helplessly as a, as a sort of a you know a, a a train wreck is slowly like unfolding right. in front of your eyes and you can't do anything yeah it's a very very difficult position to be in and I a think a very that, common one and a very common one but I do think that bringing it up in um, a sense of hey here's how this is affecting me uh, is is okay to do. I think that's a different kind of need. You know, we're, we're all in a family together. We have to look out for each other, or if it's a close-knit friend group, or if it's a relationship, you, I think, have, uh, I don't want to say more say, right? Because everybody's in charge of their own body, but um, to no, when me- pe When people are, are in a close relationship, there's more leverage for sure. Right. And so- But you don't want to abuse that leverage. No, you don't. But I, one of the things that comes up a lot for me is, let's say, one uh, person in a partnership who's not doing well. And then maybe the spouse says, okay, we need to get you some help. 
and that person is resistant, it puts people at a crossroads uh, very often. But, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it often, well, it's, it's often a symptom of relationship dysfunction, Yeah. but it's a symptom that can also cause direct problems you know exactly. like uh, excessive use of alcohol can be a symptom mm -hmm. but it causes a problem so um you see that you see that a lot in relationships that that's sort of the the uh, straw that breaks the camel's back yeah and then one person sort of just can't live with that pain anymore of right. seeing the other person destroy themselves it's very yeah. sad and poignant it is it is. Uh, yeah. And certainly sometimes people get help at least partially under duress. Like I'm doing right. this because my husband told me I had to. Yeah. Which and that's okay with, you know, getting, you know, uh, an endoscopy. But <laughs> if, if it's for psychological help, doing that under duress doesn't work so well because no. you're only partially engaged. Right. But I think it's okay to take, you know, that person might be ambivalent, you know, if they do show up um i think this is, a, this is an opportunity okay sure. right to explore yeah. that yeah in yeah, fact and, I've, been, I've been meaning to talk to you <laughs> but i think that is very very different from let's say our the, the need of the other person for some sort of gratification like pushing somebody to do things sexually or pushing a partner to make more money well if they're abusive and there's a power difference for sure that is totally yeah. different i agree yeah. Can you say more? Yeah, I just think that sometimes people get into these dynamics where, let's say, one spouse is like, hey, you're not making enough money at your job. If the other person is really happy and that's what they want to do and that's how they want to live and it's not harming anyone. That's and, a different story because right. that's not an abuse of power necessarily unless the person becomes abusive, but it cer certainly could be. And it certainly is misalignment in goals. Right, exactly. And I think that's where that conversation lies. And, and I think, you know, with sexuality and sex lives, it's the same thing, that people have to be aligned with what they want. Um, and if they're not, then it's the person who wants less, I think, who, uh, you know, whose boundaries should be respected. Right, but on the other hand, then one person is getting what they want and the other person is not getting what they want. And I agree that you respect, obviously you respect the person's boundaries, but it's also not a situation for everyone that can go on indefinitely because over time, of course, people build up unmet needs right. in, in certain key areas, sexual sexuality, but also life goals and lifestyle and you know the way you want to be living mm -hmm. and so resentment can build up as well even if sure. the short-term goal is kind of respecting that boundary over the long range there has to be a conversation about the mismatch for sure or, for sure. or not you know no i think that no one is forced to stay in a relationship that doesn't work for them well they can they force have... themselves <laughs> a lot of times people do force themselves but that's really a question for for them right if they want to stay in a sexless marriage or they want to you know keep living a lifestyle that you know they don't really want yeah well i agree i think that you know that one way that might help listeners to think about that circumstance aside from inner conflict and how to how to manage tension is to think about how you set boundaries with yourself as well right in, including yeah. um 
sort of trade-offs and more pointedly to what extent is a person accustomed to being deprived and so they might be able to take a lot more de deprivation whereas another person in in the same type of circumstance you know might might be might might not be so patient right and i think that's where you see a lot of people who say hey listen i need to be happy and if i can't find that you know with my spouse then they split up and find someone else uh, you know i think it's about making an effort a collaborative effort um to have a situation that's satisfactory to everyone but sometimes that's not possible to do well some people question whether it's possible whether it is possible, you know, this may be a different uh, podcast. Topic, yeah, I think so. But there's a there's a question about for whom is traditional um, monogamous dyadic marriage suitable, and for whom is it not? I think one of the terms is psychosexuality. How restrictive or how unrestricted is your psychosexuality? Uh -huh. And that's a place where you could see a mismatch: someone who's more open right. with someone who's more restricted. Right. But there is probably a reason that that open person chose someone who is more restricted or more conservative, right? So they didn't choose someone who was like, yeah, we'll just keep it open for the next 40 years. Right. The things that bring people together aren't always the things that keep them together. True. So boundaries change over time and yeah. they need to be renegotiated. Yes, exactly. And that communication is very important. Right. Uh, I think communication is important and letting people know what your process is. I can think of an example of this, like, let's say people, uh, you know, group of girlfriends, one person starts dating someone a little more seriously, maybe. And maybe previously these girlfriends have shared everything uh, with each other, including you know, intimate moments with hookups or whatever else. And I do think that there becomes a you know, there comes a point where uh, people might decide that they want to keep things private, maybe because they really see a future with this person and it's going to be awkward um, to have everyone know stuff. So to say like, hey, I normally would share these details, but, you know, for whatever reason, I'm my instinct is telling me to hold back um, or it doesn't feel right for my new boyfriend because he's a pretty private person. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to share things that I think he wouldn't want me to share. Right. Right. And, and friends might say, Oh, I totally understand. That's so <laughs> wonderful for you. Or they might say like, Oh, come on. Like you're being too serious. Well, there's a boundary that can be kept or not kept, but when a boundary isn't kept, does it's a kind of a microaggression right to the mm -hmm. other person you know to your subjectivity when you right. say listen you know i know i know i used to share everything but i think things things are different now and the other person mm -hmm. is dismissive or or invalidating that that's a microaggression it certainly can be and i think that we should only have to say that really once ideally and that it's probably good practice for us just in terms of you know, navigating new relationships in the world to, to say to other people, like, don't share anything that you're not really comfortable sharing. Um, and don't push people to give you information or do something that they don't really want to do because it's just going to end up in resentment. Yeah, it could be about the partner too. It could be yeah. like, listen, I'm fine talking about all the details of our relationship, but the, you know, the guy I'm with doesn't feel that way or the woman I'm with doesn't feel that way or the person I'm with doesn't feel that way. Right. And I'm respecting that boundary. 
and then your modeling also something important i think for people who might have a harder time saying uh saying no a lot of times people know where their boundary is and they know what feels right and and what feels wrong but it, it is hard to speak up what do you think the core feelings are that make it hard for people to speak up when when they know yeah, I think it's fear of some sort of retribution, fear of disappointing someone else, being difficult um, or demanding, you know. Fear and, of being perceived as quote unquote difficult. Right. And and also not knowing how someone will react. Fear, the unknown. Yeah. I guess not being confident with that skill, the right. skill of feeling comfortable Right. Navigating boundaries. I wonder about shame and guilt as well around boundaries. <laughs> I think that's tough. You know, hopefully the boundary is set up in a way to minimize shame and guilt. But we need to really believe that we have permission to do what's right for ourselves in order to to stick to that boundary. Right. Otherwise, it feels like you're letting someone down unnecessarily. Yeah, no, I think that's a good thought. I think a lot of times when people don't say something, they, yes, they're afraid, but they also feel uh, anticipatory guilt. Right. They don't want to quote unquote, make the other person feel bad. Exactly. And that is a really problematic way of being in the world. Yeah, because, but listen, a lot of people are taught to put others' needs before their own. That's um, an important need of one's own. <laughs> <laughs> to not put one's own right. needs before others. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's something I think that can be learned actually in therapy and it can be learned just by practicing. And well, there's your... a, yeah. well, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I agree with you, but I think there's more to say though about learning that type of philosophy, right? Or morality, yeah. which is often associated with, with certain cultural or religious upbringings of, True. of, being self-sacrificing. In right. fact, it's sort of more common than not. I don't know. I can't think of a culture or religious background that encourages people to have like a healthy balance between oneself and others. Maybe there's some religion, maybe like, there's some Eastern philosophies that, that come from that point of view. But religion more often than not highlights self-sacrifice sort of for the good of the whole, which of course has some evolutionary value. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Certainly good for the community. Mm -hmm. I guess so. And there's a certain age of uh, where people are more likely to give their lives for a cause. You know, I mean, literally, like developmentally, there's a window stereotypically with younger males where they're willing to die for a cause. And mm -hmm. you could argue that that's at least partially evolutionarily driven. And, you know, and that from uh, survival of the species point of view, they're more expendable or more replaceable, which is sad and unfortunate if it's true. But, um, you know, moral value systems typically sort of preach self-sacrifice, I think, or sometimes they, they preach kind of radical self-interest uh, self as well. Yeah. But it, again, it's not typical of communal religions, which usually talk about taking care of the other, which I, I think is fundamentally what learning to keep good boundaries is not just about self-interest. It's also about taking care of everyone. Yeah. It's about the yeah. community. Yeah, I, I understand that. But I think it's also up to the individual, because if we don't take 
care of ourselves, right? And then we rely on other people to do that. Well, I thought of I thought of mothering. There's there's research that shows that caregivers who have unconditional care, mm-hmm. and that includes mothers as well as some. Um, I think the research I read included some clergy, like mm-hmm. highly compassionate, don't feel pain the same way. At least the subjective experience of discomfort is much lower. Right, which um, is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, it might be a good thing, let's say, transiently while you're um, recovering from delivery or C-section and also need to nurse a baby. Right. But I don't think it's healthy for the long run. At some point, you know, that needs to recalibrate. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, some people can sort of get stuck in some developmental stage. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, there's a lot more to say. I think we covered, you know, usually before our podcasts, we talk about what we want to cover. And then we, we have um, some topics in front of us. And I, I feel like we covered a lot of the, the important ones. I thought of some of the more colloquial things, the casual things, okay. like when people say TMI. Um, and is that a joke? Or does it really mean kind of like, I didn't, I didn't really want to hear that. Yeah. I think that goes to being clear about communication. Right. On the other hand, sometimes you can be direct and the other person feels like um, chastised, right? If you're uh, sometimes I'm accused of being um, what's the expression. It's not high strung. Uptight. Uptight. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's a relative thing. We talked about it in our last podcast, like one person who's like pretty chill and like, oh, they're mm-hmm. 10 minutes late. It's no big deal. And the other person yeah. is like, my time matters to me. It's right. like one to one person, that other person is uptight. And to the, and to the uptight quote unquote person, the more chill person is um, uh, irresponsible and inconsiderate. And, you know. Yeah. But, so you know. that kind of leads into the final thing that you wanted to touch on, um, which is really what to do when people consistently fail to respect those boundaries and how to sort of lay things out and, you know, maybe exit a relationship that doesn't work. I think it's good to have clear boundaries around consistent boundary crossings Mm -hmm. so that they don't sort of explode. So it's very good to say, I'm feeling uncomfortable, you know, kind of, um, I'm giving you a warning. Yeah. We really need to work on this. Right. Uh, and then you have to know what you're willing to tolerate sort of, is it three strikes and you're out? You can tell the person, listen, if this keeps happening um, and here's, you know, here's a deadline. If it happens four more times, I think we're going to have to take a break. If it, if it keeps happening three more times, two more <laughs> okay. times, right. Whatever it is, you need to know yeah. if yeah. it keeps happening past like, you know, August, if this keeps going right. on, you know, I, I think we're really going to need to talk about whether we can still be friends. And, I think and that's you can say okay it in a loving way. You can say it in a loving way. And, and you can also say, hey, listen, I need to take care of myself. Yep. And this is not healthy for me. So I can't, you know, continue on like this either. We can make a change and you can respect the boundaries or, you know, I have to do what I need to do for myself. Yeah, And it's also because I do care about our friendship and I yeah. would like I would like to keep being friends. Right. I think most most often, though, people kind of just let things take their natural course, and they don't usually have those explicit conversations. I think it depends on on what it is. If people really care about the friendship or they really care about the relationship, then they'll look at it and say, well, I don't know why it's so hard for me to respect that boundary, and I'm going to do some work around mm-hmm. it. Well, I think you're right a part of the time. I could push back 
on the if people really care because they may just not know how to manage boundaries. So you could care, but not know what to do, right? Yeah. And then hopefully, you, you know, you've listened to a, a good podcast on it or something. <laughs> and then you say, well, oh, that was really great. Like I was kind of just letting that relationship get worse and worse. But now I feel like I can say something compassionate and, and kind to my yeah. friend and say, hey, you know, I really value the relationship. Um, I hope we'll be friends for a long, 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 long time. Is it okay with you if I bring up a couple of things that sometimes they rub me the wrong way, right? And then you see how the person responds. That's not how I usually operate, but that's what I advise. <laughs> All right, cool. I think that's good advice. I'm glad we ended up talking about this. I know I was a little apprehensive at first, but I think... Um... Yeah, you, you brought it up and then you, you were like, I don't know if I want to talk about that. <laughs> and, and you respected that, which I appreciated. But Right, I um... said, we don't have to talk about it. And then, yeah. you, then you seemed okay. Yeah, yeah. Because that was kind I... of what you needed to hear. Right. Exactly. What were you say? Because yeah, I just didn't want to feel pressured into it because I wasn't sure what I wanted. We must do a podcast <laughs> today. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. We agreed ahead of time. I know that it's just so that's so uncomfortable for me to be committed to it. But I'm I'm glad that it worked out, and I want to thank everyone who who listened in. <laughs> yeah. Um, if thank you. yeah, if you have questions or you there's part of this that you want us to discuss more that's yeah that's yeah definitely but I was going to say though that's that's a funny one when someone suggests something and then later on they're not in the same place and you think they were inconsistent but actually they're not inconsistent they just have normal feelings right or their mood just changes rapidly well Um, yeah but I mean I you know I don't I don't I think that's usually not the case but you know that's the attribution people make um another podcast but yeah, definitely reach out. Let us know okay. what you think. Yeah. Um, positive feedback, suggestions, guest ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We're occasionally getting some messages from people, but I, I think it would be great to get even more. Yeah. Uh, yeah unless can, they're critical. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram um, and we would love any reviews or ratings. So thanks. yes, favorite. Mostly what favorite. we're grateful for is your time. Yes. <laughs> thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. We're committed to bringing you new episodes with great guests. Please take a moment to share your thoughts. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Instagram at Doorknob Comments. Remember, this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any other type of medicine. This is not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment. Thank you for listening.